It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a magic marker. A, a felt pen. It's a mistake. It's a trap. It's a fucking comedy. It's quiet. Maybe too quiet. It's all happening. It's a good day to die. It's a good day to talk about movies. Welcome back. It is a good day to talk about Iron Man. I am your host, Duncan. Joining me as always is Jalen. What's up? And Mac. Hey, how's it going? And Chris. How are we doing? To all of you, we're doing good. And audience, we hope you're doing well as well. So today we are convening again for the first official episode of the Marvel Podcasting Universe Squad that going forward we'll be releasing episodes every Tuesday, which it is today if you're listening to this on the day of release. And we are, like we said in our past episodes where we described this podcast format going forward, going to be going through the MCU movie by movie, starting with Iron Man, which we're doing now. And then whenever a new release comes out, we'll jump ahead and do that one. So when Thor 4 comes out, we'll be doing that. As well as whenever a TV show comes out, we'll either review the entire thing or do it episode by episode. We will discuss that at a later date and get back to you on that. But overall, we'll be doing all the new releases for the MCU, as well as any old stuff, like I said, going movie by movie, starting this week with Iron Man, and then next week we'll be doing The Incredible Hulk, and so on and so forth. As a reminder, on GDT, we have four episodes a week. So on Monday, we have a mini-series where we're going through a short film that we on GDT are working on getting made right now. So we're discussing the filmmaking process on those episodes, releasing every Monday. This is our Tuesday episode, releasing every week, and I already told you what it's about. And then on Wednesdays or Thursdays, depending on the week, we release another bonus episode where we discuss a new TV show, a new movie, or something else relevant. On top of all that, we have our full-length episodes that release every Friday, where we interview independent filmmakers and other people involved in the filmmaking process. Those are our four weekly episodes, and then we also have a Sunday Movie Squad episode that releases once a month on the first Sunday of every month. And the topic of that is to be determined, but stick around for those episodes. This week, we had, on our Monday episode, Nathan Dale Harris, who's doing the score for the short film. So we interviewed him in our longest episode yet on that miniseries. Tomorrow, we have another episode where we are discussing Mystery Men, the film from 1999, with special guest Simon Whitlock. Then, on Friday, we have an interview with artist Steve Chorney, who's known for all of his movie poster artwork, which... You've definitely seen if you've seen a movie anytime in the last, I don't know, 50 years, because he's done a plethora of work there, including Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and the new Nicolas Cage movie, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. So stay tuned for all of those episodes releasing this week, and be sure to check out our back catalog as well. Before I go any further, today we are discussing Iron Man, so that means spoilers for Iron Man. I know this movie was released in 2008 and everyone's really caught up on the MCU by now, but there will be spoilers in this discussion for Iron Man and for all these episodes, probably spoilers for all the MCU up to date so that we can discuss where this falls into the universe. So if you're worried about not something being spoiled for you, then 
I would stay away from these episodes until you're all caught up on the MCU because we're going to be able to spoil anything on any of these episodes, including future movies and anything we've seen. So that's your spoiler warning. If you're worried about that, hop off the train now, get back to us later. And for everyone else, on with the discussion. So folks, Iron Man was released in 2008, kicking off the MCU. It was directed by John Favreau and written by four different people. Mark Fergus, Hawk Osby, Art Markham, and Matt Holloway. The film stars Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man slash Tony Stark, Jeff Bridges, Gwyneth Paltrow, Terrence Howard, and a lot of other people, including cameos from both John Favreau, who would obviously turn into a larger role going forward as Happy Hogan, and of course, Stan Lee. We're going to get into how this movie really did kick off the MCU and a cultural phenomenon with that, but I'm just going to say right now that the movie was well-received by audiences for sure, and at the time, for sure, critics, I would say, too. I'm, I haven't really done a lot of research, but in my recollection serves me right. Everyone was pretty much on board with this, critics and your average audience alike. So since we all know the backstory... We'll get into it a little bit more, but we all know the history of this movie and what it created. So I'm not going to really delve too deep into the background. We talked about the main actors. There's obviously other people we'll bring up. We've talked about John Favreau. Other than that, let's just get right into the discussion and start with our initial thoughts of Iron Man. Jalen, I'm going to start with you. Why don't you tell us your broad thoughts on the 2008 film Iron Man? Um, so, well, my broad thoughts on Iron Man, um, it was the first film to kick off everything in the MCU, basically, like, birth everything that's going on now. I love Iron Man's, like, cocky, like, personality and just his confidence, like, he can do anything in life and came from everything that happened in the war and him having to have the arc reactor in his chest, even though he had that disability with him he still knew that he can do anything in the world and create whatever needed to happen and had the confidence to be the smartest man in the world so i did appreciate that about his character and his growth awesome very fair let's go to you mac next i love this movie it's probably my favorite movie out of all of them not necessarily because i think it's the most creative or inventive of the films especially later on when we get to to see some really cool stuff from the MCU, but this was my childhood. You know, I was 10 when this movie came out and it just, it it's a comfort piece for me, as odd as that sounds. And I think getting to see Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark and see how he ended up towards the end and getting this as his origin piece is just, it's really important for me as a, as a Marvel fan. But yeah, I love this movie. I love that we get to see how quirky he is and how he just falls into the character so well. I mean, he, I think personally, he takes on the role of Tony Stark perfectly. He just, that, I feel like that character was made for him in a lot of ways. But yeah, I think, I think it was a great start to the movie franchise. And it was just, it's personally one of my favorites, like I said. So all 10 out of 10 for me. Can't wait to get into it. Spoilers for the last question where we put the rating, but we'll, we'll, make you break it down even further than that so we'll we'll ask for you for the 100 scale so we'll see at the end if that scales up to 100 out of 100 but no spoilers yet i like that we'll get into the specifics of it chris what are your broad initial thoughts 
of Iron Man. Yeah, it's crazy to think it's been almost 15 years since the movie came out. I agree with a lot of what Mac and Jalen said. Definitely like my childhood in a nutshell. I watched it again actually yesterday, so it was cool to relive that. I think um, it's all the other, the flip side of it, you know, just looking at the time is, is how crazy it is to think about everything that flowed from this movie and how big the stakes were when they made it and just how well it went. You know, Iron Man, for me, I didn't know anything about that character going into that movie at like 10 or 11 years old. So I, and I just immediately fell in love with it. And like Max said, the the casting was, was spot on. I think Robert Downey Jr. did a great job. The action and the special effects were just like, at that point in time, were like mind blowing. You know, a lot of the stuff was just like, un- unlike anything I'd, I'd ever seen in a superhero movie before. And I think that they did a great job painting you know not a perfect character not not a lot of the just generic plot points that you get from from superhero movies sometimes but definitely involved look at the character and then great action sequences sequences as well so i thought it was very well executed and i like max said it's definitely in my top three of all marvel movies so i loved it all right all right so i love this movie as well i loved it since i saw it in theaters i think i've told this story on the podcast earlier but my dad and I saw it in theaters and we were really excited for it. I don't know exactly why we were excited, like because neither of us were big into Iron Man. And I think we were pretty aware of the fact that he was kind of a lower tier superhero in the scheme of Marvel superheroes. At least that's like what like the audience, comic book audience thought before this movie. But like we were into like the X-Men movies. We liked the Spider-Man movies and... I wouldn't say we were like through the roof excited to see this, but we were excited and we went and we saw it. And when he delivers that line at the end says, I am Iron Man, we both just were like, holy fuck, what did we just watch? And we were like going off before that. We were loving it before that. But that really solidified that ending really was like, holy shit, like this is going to be something that I want to be involved with going forward. And I think we knew that there was a post credit scene because I think people were kind of buzzing about it. And so I think we did stick around and then we were like, oh, so this is going to be like, we can get excited for this going forward. It's not going to be just Iron Man 2. It's going to be, like we said, we're getting an Incredible Hulk later in that year even. And so it was obvious what they were doing from the get-go and they knew that they were planning something like that. And it was just very well executed. I wasn't, at that time, I was too young to really know about the redemption arc that Robert Downey Jr. was going through. But my dad was very well aware. I am going to actually tell a quick story. I know this is initial thoughts, but I want to just jump in real quick here and just say it. My dad worked for Planet Hollywood for a while. So he had actually like encountered Robert Downey Jr. in person and not like saying like, oh, like, like, oh, like he was crazy or anything. Like, I don't know exactly what that what those encounters were like. I'm not nor I don't think I would like get into that really. But it's just like he was very well aware of the redemption arc that was going down. Um, I think most like people who were like older probably would have been anyway. But it was very cool. Like he's got like pictures with Robert Downey Jr. and so he's he's got like pictures with a lot of celebrities. But I just wanted to say because like very cool, especially that he's like now like his career is so resurrected. Or although I don't know, after Doolittle, who knows what's next? I I'm not so sure about what he what he's wanting. He might be crawling back to MCU faster than he thought with uh with a cameo in the future. Who knows? But I will end this by saying that we'll get into all the specifics of what I love about this movie. But I have to agree with most of the points that you guys said. I really do think that it's a reason why people got on board with this so quickly and why it became what it did. And it's because it was well executed from the beginning. And I think that if this movie doesn't hit so hard, 
that we don't get as much as of what we get going forward. So with that, we'll talk about the opening of the film and the setup of how we get Iron Man, really. And the backstory, too, because it does it gives you, you know, it it's actually really efficient with showing you his playboy side and, and that it's kind of like interspliced into the whole desert antics and it's really well done i think like it's like i said efficient is the first word that comes to mind i think it's really good storytelling there and we'll get into it in later installments of this series but i do think that maybe better storytelling than it, it has later down the line and maybe more of a focus on that in this because they knew they had to kind of make a good movie in this one i think and like later down the line, it was like more of the fluff is getting added and less of the storytelling and other things. So the movie does start with him in Afghanistan and we have Rhodey already. We have Terrence Howard, who will talk about the biggest fumble of the bag, potentially like in film history, because I'm sure that Don Cheadle is getting paid these days to be Warhammer. But he is then attacked. The convoy is attacked by a missile. And he is imprisoned, Tony. And that's the general idea. They're they're asking him to create rockets for him, missiles for him. The bad guys. I'm just gonna. I don't know. That, that's that's such a, like a general term. But yeah, the bad guys are the the antagonists are trying to get him to create missiles for him. And him and his boy Yinsen, who is like a doctor who's also captive with him, or have other plans basically. And Yinsen is the one who saves his life. Because he's got like shrapnel in his heart, I believe is the exact um, issue. But so let's start with that and go around like this introduction of the character and how we feel about this. And then, uh, you know, bring up anything you want, really. But Jalen, we can start with you or if anyone else wants to hop in, we can do that. Um, Yeah, I definitely enjoy like the introduction of the character. Um, Just to the fact, of course, it's it's the start of the MCU. First character that we meet and see how he's going through that struggle and is able to think on his feet and basically like create something out of nothing which i thought was like very creative and very like groundbreaking in my mind and i just think like i i fell in love with the character tony stark and robert um robert downey jr was a great casting option for that as well tony stark was able to create this in a cave with a box full of scraps. Mac? I think my favorite part about this opening is the juxtaposition that we see between him in Afghanistan and then as we switch to his Playboy side because we really get to see the privilege that Tony has ha- has been afforded. Live. We really get to see the, pr- the privilege that comes with being Tony Stark and then he's thrust into this world that he has not enabled, but um, that he has participated in as the a weapons manufacturer. And it's like the first real taste of the destruction that his weapons can produce. And I think them choosing to flip between him in Afghanistan and then going back to what his life is like as a playboy. And I mean, he doesn't even attend that show, that award ceremony, because he knows he doesn't have to, right? There's no real um punishment or um what's the word i'm looking for there's no there's no real obligation for him because he knows somebody's going to be there to pick up the pieces for him as we see with um roadie so but i think that cold opening just 
really hits you in the heart because you're thrusting the storyline immediately. But you still kind of fall for him, even in those moments where you see that he is kind of a little, a, a little um, not as responsible as he could be in the serious role that he has with the company. Um, but obviously, you don't you don't want him to die right off the bat. Then we're not going to have a story, you know. But I, I love the cold opening, and I, I, it really draws you in. Hell yeah, Chris. Yeah, no, I thought it was. Uh, I love like I, war movies are probably like my favorite genre of movie uh besides superhero movies and like i love how it starts out as a war movie and like it's you know what i mean kind of reminds me of like saving private ryan where you just like jump right into like you know action going on but i really like what you said duncan about the storytelling being super efficient because they set before we get that action sequence they set him up as this you know narcissistic playboy even before we go to vegas you see him like when he's talking to the soldiers and they're asking him questions about his life and the guy asking asks him about the maximum models and he's like yeah you know talking about how he's objectifying women and whatnot so you you clearly get a very clear picture of this of of who tony stark is as a person and i thought that the award ceremony where they kind of give you the character's background it kind of just occurred to me right now but like that was a great way to give us background on the character you know because we see him as this sort of tortured genius right like kind of like max said the privilege that's come with like inheriting the stark for fortune and you know you, you see all his accomplishments as a certified you know prodigy or, or genius or whatever you want to call it but the, he's like clearly very intelligent and has been able to profit off of being basically a, like a merchant of death almost so the part where the the missile like hits in the dirt and like it has his name on it is, is pretty cool, you know, where they zoom in and it says like Stark, he's like, oh shit, I'm about to be killed like by my own weapon. I don't know if we're going into the cave part right now. Uh, I'm going to hold off on that because I think still like kind of like Max said, how he shirks his responsibility and he's not even at the um, at the award ceremony, but he's just like clearly this, this self-obsessed guy that kind of immediately gets the consequences of of being that way when he's, you know, when their, their uh, caravan is attacked. I like that you bring up the military aspect of it already because i want to jump into that because this movie does bring up imperialism in a way like american imperialism in a way and and how that's utilized and how the american military is utilized but it also brings up like the seediness of weapons manufacturers themselves and how obadiah stain is obviously selling to both american government and other you know militia groups like the Ten Rings, for example, who are the bad guys that I was referring to earlier. But it does feel like you wouldn't see this as much in like the 20th movie in the MCU. Like it does feel like a pre-Disney thing, a pre, we have, you know, like a pre, not like pre-Avengers, but pre-Avengers Endgame like type deal. Like now they're very more into, although they've looked at like the tolls in like, Civil War, for example, they've looked at like the the casualties that happen and like they're not concerned with the casualties in this movie. Tony Stark is killing people, straight up murdering people. And I have no problem with it. Like, it's not a complaint, but they haven't like it's clear, like where like it's funny how, how you can kind of see the seeds of Civil War, for example, being sowed here. But I'd, I'd love to hear like just the thoughts on how the military is handling this movie because i think it actually has some nuance to it and that's not something that you would expect at least from the mcu nowadays and again like i'm not trying to just shit on like where the mcu has gone but i do think that like this film is more independent of a 
larger narrative even though again like they're already sowing the seeds for for a large narrative they know what they're doing already they know their their end game here is the first end game is is avengers the first ever avengers movie from 2012 but it's still like its own it's more singular it's got its own more of its own like like one vision i think and it's not as concerned with like cameos and stuff like that like like the small cameos are like oh we're putting i'm gonna put myself in it because i'm john favreau so i can i'm gonna make myself playing happy hogan small things like that but i'd love to hear what your guys thoughts are on it because like it does seem like something that they would shy a little bit away from now i I think yeah I, i think what i enjoyed about it was the fact that how realistic it was it was more like you can see like you can imagine your life with iron man in the world at that point in time like the military aspect of it and you know going to war like we've already experienced that before and it was like okay well you can you can see iron man being in that as well so i like how iron man can easily be incorporated into our lives in real lives in real life so i did like that aspect of it and all that in general i think the movie does a good job of being critical of the side effects and the casualties that come with war especially when america gets their hands in it right it doesn't it doesn't paint this happy picture of America going in to save countries because when does that ever actually happen, in my opinion, you know? And I think that them using Tony to kind of represent that. And you know what? Whether they're actually going for that or not, I don't know. But to me, I think there were aspects of the film where they used Tony as a metaphor for what happens when people who try to profit off of war are actually exposed to war and like the stuff that the the bad parts that come with contributing to mass death and I think that their choice to not shy away from it I know Duncan you said that like I agree that later on in the films there's less there's less of that and they don't really focus on that so much but I definitely think that they were showing how bad it can really get yeah I definitely like how they look at the issue head on, you know, especially considering like the social climate at the time where we were like actively, you know, engaged in conflict in Afghanistan and Iraq. It's like in, in, in 2008. And like Max said, I don't know if that's what they were going for, but I think Robert Downey Jr. does a good job of, of playing the role. And I think that's kind of what I was uh, thinking about earlier, where like he was sort of a, a torture genius, because I think I don't ever think that to- like Tony Stark is genuinely callous you know, to, to like what, I don't think he's ever misguided about the reality of what it is he does. You know what I mean? His role as like a, like a important cog in the war machine that is, you know, America at a certain point from a certain perspective. When you said that, it kind of made me think like one of my favorite lines I wrote it down yesterday was, was when he's, when he's demonstrating the Jericho and like he popped, you know, it's clearly successful. Like the, the military personnel, they, you know like the presentation and then you see this like cooler of champagne open up uh, like out in the desert and he's like uh we throw one of these in with every purchase of 500 million or more more to peace and it's like kind of you know what i mean just like the irony of 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 what's going on it's like you have a war like a weapons dealer talking about you know like toasting to peace clearly just ignorant to the realities of war and the impact that the weapons that he's selling is going to have on you know the location that he's in but then he gets directly exposed to that when he's taken captive and i think that's kind of a central point 
in Tony Stark's development as a character where like he, like I said, I don't think he's ever genuinely callous. I think he just kind of does these like girl seeking activities. Like he's a playboy. He, you know, gambles. He does all these things to distract himself from what he knows is wrong. You know what I mean? So like this first act in the movie where he gets captured, he, he, he can't escape it anymore. You know what I mean? He's like directly thrust into it. And I think that's kind of why we see a lot of the actions that we, we do see him take. I, I also want to throw in there, I think it's another example of how a lot of times we don't realize the severity of a situation until we're directly affected by it. And I think that happened in this case, you know, once he was actually a part of what he was contributing to, and he saw that his own weapons were, were being used against him, also kind of really struck home for him. Peace in our time. Also, they say the best weapon is the weapon you don't have to use. I say the best weapon is one you only have to use once. So we definitely see how he changes his point of view when he's affected by it. And I wouldn't even say it's a selfish thing where it's like, I'm affected by it. It's more of like seeing it in person. Like he, it, it is like a sympathy slash, I guess a little bit of empathy, I guess, cause he's going through it as well, but sympathy for the other people who are being, you know what I mean? It's not necessarily like, oh, this happened to me. So now I care. It's like, a, I've seen it, so now I care, if that makes sense. Like, the distinction that I'm, I'm trying to make there is not saying that anything either of you guys or any of the three of you guys said was wrong. I agree with, with almost everything. I just do think that potentially there's a little bit more of a, like, he's he's genuinely caring about other people. You know what I mean? It's not a selfish care. It's like, although you can hear, it's interesting, even in the, in the dialogue, his cockiness and his point of view is there always because he'll he'll say like i don't want my legacy to be death and destruction right so he's worried about it's that is like it's coming from a point of view where it's like oh i don't want people to remember the name stark for that like you know what i mean it is like selfish in that sense but i do think he is genuinely feeling for others and he genuinely cares about the people he's saving which is like a, a silly thing to say because he's a superhero but he is tony stark who's given this characterization of being you know like we said like the playboy billionaire philanthropist all that stuff who is out there right in the sense where he's like cocky and stuff like that and it's part of why a lot of people like him like i happen to be an iron man guy not a captain america guy so i think it's interesting all that i liked what everyone said i do want to note that as with a lot of mcu movies this did have official at least air force support i don't know if that means it had like the entire armed forces support but they had like military accurate costumes and stuff like that, which a lot of the times they do have that because they get deals with the military and they were able to get that with this one. So whoever was in charge of that on the government side of it was like, all right, they're not being too critical of us. So that's a note to be made that like, at least, you know, we're saying that they went further than other movies. But it obviously, it, they didn't dig that deep, that's all I'm saying, because they, it was still enough to get, you know, allowed by the U.S. military. So obviously, you know, they weren't like saying like anything too critical of them. It was more of war in general is bad, which is like a little surface level as I'm talking through it. But I do like that because I, I you know, I mean, I tend to agree that wars are bad. And I think that's not a crazy out there stance to have. Right. I'm not like doing anything groundbreaking by saying that. But I it's nice when a movie's point of view is something that you can get on board with at least. And if I would like it to be more critical, that's fine. But 
I do appreciate the point of view it took at least. So we can get a little bit more into what actually happens after that because I think we can kind of go through the whole like or get past the whole cave part now. Like if we want to talk about everything that happens in the cave and the actual breakout of that, like the creation of the arc reactor and the creation of that first mark. I guess that's the Mark Zero. Is that is that what that is? Because the Mark One is, or no, no, it's the Mark One arc reactor. So I guess that is the Mark One as well. The tin, like real rickety one that he blows up in the desert. There is, I think, Mark One, and I think Mark Two is the the next one. So we can talk about the creation of that, the sacrifice of our homie out there with Tony, and the escape and return to America. If you guys want, yeah, I'm excited to talk about the cape. And I would push back on the point about about Tony Stark, I think, because I think for the entirety of his time in the MCU, I think and it's part of what makes this character so likable for me is that just like of the creation. And and I feel like the narrative around the character is like true to the character um, itself, if that makes sense. But I think there always is this vein of of selfishness and narcissism with Tony Stark. You know what I mean? Like he, that's what, and where I would push back to your point, Duncan is like, I don't think he ever becomes like truly altruistic and not necessarily like that, that that's a bad thing. He just is all, he always is self-obsessed. I mean, spoilers down the line to like in game, you know what I mean? When they come and they're like, yeah, we got to save everyone. And he's like, I don't know if I want to, cause I don't want to lose what I've gotten from this time-lapse. And so I think that that kind of stays with the care, especially through this movie where a lot of the times I feel like a lot of the things he's doing are like are beneficial to others, but also to himself first. I think he's always, he always is a me first guy. And I don't want to characterize that as good or bad. I just think that that's a reality of the character, Tony Stark. But as far as the cave goes, I think that's a great, it's very well done. We see when they're describing the character to begin the movie, we don't really see him actually like apply any of like the genius that he's supposed to have. But then in the cave, when he has like, you know, like Obadiah says, literally just scraps. He's able to put a device together that's going to save his life and, and be able to like allow him to escape. But even that is kind of like self self motivated. You know what I mean? Like where he's like doing what he needs to do to take care of himself. And I think we also see his reluctance to like to trust or like engage with other people with Jensen. You know what I mean? Like there's they spend multiple days together in the cave before he even asks him his name. You know, you can tell that like caring about other people doesn't doesn't come naturally to Tony Stark or even like trying to actually learn things about them, except with Pepper. But I think I don't know the guy's name that plays Jensen, but he does a great job of kind of being this this foil to Tony Stark. Someone who's like who's firsthand been exposed to like the results of of, of what Tony Stark has done. So I, you know, I, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. I think that um, the thing I've respected about Tony Stark was the fact that his survival mode, he's able to like come out of nowhere, think on his feet. And yes, I understand what you were saying about him being selfish, but I don't I don't see that as selfish in a bad way at all. Like he's looking out for himself as well as other people in a way and is he's able to take care of everybody. And, you know, his goal was to build a suit of armor around the world. So I think this movie, like, started off him trying to do that. But, yes, he did not go about it in the best way. But he had good intentions with all of that. So I did, like, respect that factor about him and what he wanted to do. 
especially at the um, beginning of, of the MCU as the first superhero, you know, movie and everything in this franchise. So, yeah, like main character and everything. So I appreciated that about him. Glad you brought up Jensen, Chris, because I was thinking about this earlier um, and as you were talking. I feel like the thing I I agree with both you and both you and Duncan in that I don't think he is an innately selfish person. Like I do think that he has the ability to empathize and sympathize with people. Obviously, we see that throughout this movie and the rest of the movies. But I think what really pushes Tony to want to be better are the people around him. Like with Jensen, for example, being in that cave with him working on this project together, getting to hear what has happened in Jensen's village, that makes Tony more motivated and realize how deeply war affects people. And I think we see that throughout the rest of this movie too, with like Pepper, she's always pushing him to be a better person. And he surrounds himself with these really quality people that make him want to be a better person. I think we see that in the other movies too. You know, he's always motivated because another person is coming to him and trying to to get some sympathy from him or help from him. And I think that really motivates him to want to be a better person. And Sean, I could be saying this wrong, Tube, Sean Tube is the person who plays Jensen. Just wanted to shout him out. I didn't know that off the top of my head. I did have to look it up. So I'm not trying to like show you up or anything, Chris. Be like, yeah, I know that. Just did want to give him credit where credit's due because I thought he was definitely did a good job. And I want to just say that I think that, you know, from obviously Robert Downey Jr. and I would say obviously as well, Bridges, the performances are there. And, you know, I would say in general, they're there. I like Clark Gregg as Phil Coulson in general. I would say the one person, and I hate to say this because we don't, and I've called other superhero films out like, and I've called Christopher Nolan out like the Dark Knight trilogy, for example, for not having a lot of female characters. And this one basically has Gwyneth Paltrow as the only female character. And I thought that if anyone was phoning it in, it was her. And I think in general, in the MCU, she's not all there. And definitely more so down the line where she doesn't even remember being in certain movies. But again, those are like, she didn't remember being in like a cameo of a movie. Like it wasn't like she didn't remember being in a movie that she was in as much as Iron Man. But I think that she definitely gets way less interested in the MCU down the line. But still, I would say that she's the weakest performance here. And she's not the weakest actor here. And I'm not saying, I'm not going to say like, oh, I think this person is the weakest actor here. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that to point out that she is a very talented actor and could be giving a better performance than this, I think. And I think she just decided like, I'm doing a superhero movie. I don't really give a shit. But if you guys disagree, I'd love to hear differing thoughts or what you guys think about the acting in general. I think Robert Downey Jr., and Jeff Bridges absolutely slayed the role. I agree that Gwyneth Paltrow does an okay job, but to me, it's less so her. And I just don't think her character had a lot of opportunity to really be phenomenal. I think it was just, she was a love interest for Tony. And I know I just said that she's, she's a, she was motivated for him to be a better person because she herself is a better person, but I just don't think she had enough to work with to really give us uh, a great role. Yeah, and I'll kind of uh, bounce off of what Max said. Um, I feel like she didn't have that much opportunity. However, um, she did help Tony Stark develop as a person. And um, if 
you know, just storyline writers and everything gave her more of a platform and everything. She would have done like a way better job. But I don't think any acting or anything on her part was bad at all. Yeah, I mean, there's not very many dimensions to her character beyond just being kind of like a moral compass slash like a caretaker to Tony. I think a lot of uh, her effectiveness in this movie, I think, comes from like the difference in Tony's interaction with her. You know what I mean? Like we get to see a different side of Tony with her as opposed to like her being kind of a standalone character. I appreciate that they didn't just make her some damsel in distress um, and just go with that kind of generic type of character Um, because she's clearly capable, you know, in, in a lot of ways she runs Tony's life, but we don't get to see a lot like that side of her. I like her interaction with, uh, with Phil Coulson and that even like goes on to Avengers, but I do appreciate that interaction, but I appreciate the relationship kind of like what Mac and Jalen both said, where like, I love the point about, Tony Stark being better because of the people around him as opposed to an individual drive to do it, even though that is there. You know, I I think the stronger of the two, though, is that he's got these influences in his life that give him a direction and that give him a reason to be better a lot of the time when he has a selfish urge to do something that maybe isn't in everyone's best interest. He he stops. He does start to stop to think about how it's going to affect the people around him. But beyond that, Kind of like you guys said, they didn't give Pepper a lot to work with beyond just kind of being uh, uh, Tony's love interest. So I think they could have done more. Something I also wanted to touch on was I think this movie's really funny as well, which I was really surprised because I remember it being very badass. And again, I was young when I first saw it, but I was always blown away by how just fuck yeah I felt during it, at least in the theater. And then, you know, I've watched it a couple times in over the years but i don't come back to a lot of them that often in the marvel series just because there are there are so many of them so obviously this one probably has more rewatches and like some of them like ragnarok's a good example of one that i come back to more often and infinity war and endgame together but we'll talk about those when we get to them but this is one that i probably have rewatched more than other ones and i would say still though on this rewatch i was surprised by how funny it was one that i'll point out is the gag of blowing the fire extinguisher or smoke on him after he's like not on fire or anything just like in, in silly situations i think that's uh, or not silly situations like in situations where he's just busted through three floors or he's just slammed his head against the wall and was something that like should have fucked him up by the way that's a a heavy hit i, I rewinded it and was like oh yeah they really got him there and I liked that one. I don't know if you guys have any other moments of comedy, but I thought that just throughout it, it was really well done, the comedy. And like, that's again, something that people have complaints sometimes further down the line where it's like, are the quips well done? Is the comedy well done? And some people would say, no, I'm not necessarily commenting on that right now. I'm just saying that I do think in this one, very well done. No, I definitely agree with you on that aspect. Um, I love how like, it kind of set the tone for the MCU, like, the um you know high stakes and um high stakes as well as comedy thrown in together and it basically has a lightheartedness that you know everybody needs in a movie and it did not i don't think it took away from the stakes or the plot of the movie it just added onto it in my opinion so i did appreciate that how the the producers and everything wrote that and everything i know there were a lot of funny moments like you mentioned Duncan but I think one of the funniest parts in terms of characters is just 
Tony's wit. Like you really get to see how witty and quick he is to respond in like snarky way that like gives you like a slight chuckle. You know, I'm not, I'm not like belly laughing that often watching this movie, but I'm doing that little like silent chuckle in my head or like, haha, that was funny. Um, so I, I think they do a good job of making him likable in that way. Um, cause he is, he's smart and very clearly smart. So, um, I think that's one of those things where, um, you can really see intelligence with jokes, right? You don't have to be like a class clown, but you can be a little edgy in that way. I love the scene where he goes down to get the drink for Pepper and like the reporter that he slept with earlier in the movie comes down and she's like, how are you feeling about, I don't think she's clear. I don't remember the exact line she says about what she's asking about, but she asks him what he's feeling like. And he's like, panic is what I'm feeling right now. Panic. And it's, I thought that was really funny, but yeah, exactly what Jalen said. They, this is, cause I feel like it was, I don't know. The Spider-Man movies are, they do a good job of incorporating uh, like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies do a good job of incorporating comedy, but I thought, it really did set the tone for all the other movies in the MCU, just in terms of coming to expect certain gags to like there to be running gags throughout movies and whatnot. I mean, and like Max said, he's Tony Stark in general and Robert Downey Jr. does a good job, a great job with the delivery also of like bringing it to life, but his wit is really good. I mean, really funny. And just his conversations with people who are like clearly serious and he just has no, <laughs> like a lot of the time, like, you know, down the line, we see Captain America get mad at him in, in Avengers where he's like, everything's a joke to you, you know, because everything is a joke. And he, and that's why, you know, that's why we love him. He's funny. So when he gets back from Afghanistan, there's obviously the line about the cheeseburger. And then I always roll my eyes at that because they make a reference of it later. And it's like supposed to be this moment. And in the first movie, it's just product placement. That's all it is. It's not like this moment of, oh, he really loves cheeseburgers. We're going to use that down the line 15 films later. It's product placement for Burger King. So it undercuts it a little bit for me. But again, not a complaint, just something that I think is interesting that they decided to kind of go that route with a line like that. But it is a good way to play off Happy's first appearance, though, as well, because it's very, very small in this one. And I thought it was bigger in this one. I guess probably Iron Man 2 is the one where he has a larger role for the first time, I would assume. I'm going through these movies again, like first time rewatching in a long time. I don't know when the last time I saw Iron Man 2 was, but I didn't know that or I didn't remember that going into this. But I did think that line was funny and because of the product placement. And we have him designing the next version of the arc reactor and the suit at his house and him testing it out as well. We have him taking the silver version of the Mark II out and going for the test fly where he is just doing stupid stuff like i'm like why are you flying to the moon right now but of course that like obviously is a huge like payoff later on where it's like a how he becomes the gold in iron man you know he uses the gold alloy and that's why he ends up with that gold base which then he paints over with the candy red or the hot rod red i think he calls it and it pays off even greater than that when he is like oh how'd you solve the icing problem to Obadiah at the end, which I thought again in this rewatch, I was I was like, oh, that's like the end of the fight. I did not remember that there was more. Which again, to me, that undercut that moment then because it's like, well, why did we have him come back? You know, why did we have him come back after that? Like, why was that not the end of the fight? How did he come back after that? But I guess we did see that. Obviously, Iron Man does survive it in the first version of the suit, so I guess that would be how he did it. He did it the same way that Tony did it the first time. But my point being, he gets to 
the point where he's created the Mark II. He has that moment with Pepper where he has her put in the Mark II version of the arc reactor. And we end up with, like you said, you referenced Chris, him talking to Christine, who, okay, sure, there is one other female character in the movie who has maybe three lines of dialogue or three scenes that she's in. I think maybe just the two scenes, actually. But sure, we do have her as well. And that's at the charity event that he's not invited to, that Obadiah didn't invite him to because he's trying to, Obadiah is trying to smooth everything over with the shareholders, the board of directors, I should say, not the shareholders, because once Tony got back and announced that he was ending the weapons program, their shares dropped like in the 50s. It was He was expecting like 40 and it was like something in the 50s. Whatever, those numbers don't really mean anything to us because we don't even know like how much he had, right? Like how much it was worth. But we have him creating the new version of the suit and then while it's being painted, he stops by the fundraiser. He then learns about what's going on in Golmira is the place that she tells him about and he goes back, watches some of the news footage about it and decides to go save them. And so we can talk, this is like the first hero moment for Iron Man, the first hero moment in all of the MCU really because this is the first movie. So this is our first look at what an actual superhero looks like because the Mark One version, it was more of an escape than it was superheroing. So I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on this part of the film where we have him becoming the hero or at least starting to become the hero and coming up with the final version for this movie of the iron man suit you know the mark ii which i would like to argue and just throw out there that looks a lot better than many of the later versions looks pretty sick i think so yes yeah, so it was definitely an iconic moment especially over the 15 plus years of um, mcu movies of you know just like he finally realizes like i need to stop you know, caring about myself and I need to care about other people. He goes out of his way in order to save other people. And that definitely kicked off the MCU. And I would disagree about the suit. My favorite suit was um, the suit that he had in Infinity War, the um, nanotech. That was my favorite suit from him. But I digress. But yeah, that was my favorite suit in general. No, yeah. That whole stretch where he's like learning how to you know, kind of perfecting the suit and the testing is a great source of humor. Like when he, you know, sh- he's like trying to do the thrusting and shoots himself into the wall. It's pretty funny. Are we not doing phrasing? Shoots him into the wall. That was he's doing the thrusting and he shoots him in the wall. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm reaching. Maybe I'm reaching. But <laughs> no, no, it was there. No, it was there. You grabbed it. No, yeah, but it's just a good way to show the development of the character it humanizes him that he's not he, he's not just like we don't just get a finished product straight away we see him like have to not only invent the suit and invent the idea for the armor but then make it practical and the scene that you were talking about specifically duncan i i love because he's when he first like the the cannons on his hands when he when, when we first see those before we know that they're cannons he just calls he's i don't remember who he's talking to but he says that they're flight stabilizers and then he goes in the, in the basement after he sees on the new, you know, this is, I think after Obadiah has confronted him um, or no, it's not after that, but he realizes that, you know, weapons are still, are still clearly being sold abroad. And he starts uh, shooting the flight stabilizers and realizes that they're actually like, they can double his weapons. And that's when he kind of, you see him like make the decision. Okay. I can take an active role 
and how I feel about what's happening around me. You know, I'm not just, I don't have to just be a bystander. I can put this invention that I've created to use and go and um, right the wrongs as I see them. And I, and I, and I would push back again, because I, I don't think his goal is to save those people. He, he really, he goes over there to destroy the weapons, you know, um, and just, and happens to arrive right when an execution is about to take place. But a lot of that still in, in those scenes, we can see him kind of showing off. Like when you said, when he discovers the icing issue, he immediately, like when he starts flying his first thought, he asked Jarvis, like, what's the altitude record? And he goes and tries to break it, you know? So he, the guy is just, and not again, not in a bad way. He just is driven by the, like his ego is huge. You know what I mean? He's got a big ego, like, like Yance said, but like, uh, I don't know. It, it works for the character, <laughs> but uh, it just is something that sticks with him throughout the movie. TB over here talking about Tony Stark's penis. I I guess more so now and less so when I was originally watching all this go down, like, what did we say, 15, 15 14 years ago now? But when I rewatched him going to, to Golmira and saving those people, it just gives me chills just because that's the moment that we really see Tony coming into himself, right? This is his first act post cave escape that he's like actually out and saving him, not only himself this time, but like other people and destroying weapons. But something I, I wanted to mention is the the audio that we get in this movie, like the sound effects that they have. They're like some of my favorite, like Tony's suit in general, the like the whir, whir, that comes from his hands. And also just the choice in music too. Like ACDC all throughout this movie is just stellar. I think it really speaks to who Tony is as a character. But yeah, that that scene just gives me chills every time. So on the way out of destroying the weapons and saving the women and children, and I guess the men as well, but they were the ones that had the guns to their heads where the looked like the women and children. And there was that one guy who was like hugging his kid. And you like how I said destroying the weapons first, CB. I, I'm I'm giving I'm giving you your your dues there. All right. He was that was his, his number one priority there, sure. I still think you're not giving him enough credit because I think he says at least throughout the movie that he is doing it to help people as well. But I, I do get like everything he does is centered around his ego. I do I agree with you on that. So from here we get the escape which i like because i really like the phone call with him and Rhodey here and i like just the whole dynamic of the u.s military trying to figure out well it wasn't us we're on the phone with air force they said it wasn't them uh, it wasn't them it wasn't them you know every every department is calling each other like trying to figure out no it definitely wasn't us and i like that i like that whole scene i like him answering the phone i think that tells you something about him as well probably in line with the ego stuff like he's cocky enough to think he can just t- answer the phone while he's in a situation like that and i think it's a good action scene i just like more than the action even though i do like the action is the dynamic within that war room or whatever it is the control room that they're all watching and i love the phone call between or the multiple phone calls between Rody and tony and like the it's me he's like yeah, yeah like like thinking it's like no no no, no. the thing you're asking for it, it's me it's me and then he like even further clarifies like no no no, it's me inside a suit it's not me sending it to there like i am the thing that you're shooting at and you know then you see roadie trying to like save him and and whatnot and then obviously iron man saves 
the pilot who gets ejected. And I really love the reaction. I love that they included this, the reaction of relief from the people in the control room. I thought that was just like a human moment of like, okay, like to me it showed like, and it's silly to say because obviously, especially the people who know the pilot, they are going to care. But it's like down to every single person, like losing one individual would have been a huge deal. And you can tell that by their reaction. So I like that. And I just, I personally love this whole scene. So I don't know if you guys agree that it's like one of the standout ones, but for me, it's uh, it's a good action scene with even better, not dialogue, but you know, you know what I mean surrounding it, everything that's going on in that control room. Or we could just go to the next thing. I liked it, but I just don't, I don't really have anything to add because I agree with everything you said. I, I loved it. So I don't know. If, I don't, I don't have any original thoughts to add. <laughs> no worries. I forgot the name of the missile that they include in Iron Man 2, but the one the, the the anti-tank one that shot where he shoots it at the tank after it knocks him out of the air and he's just walking away and you just see it blow up that was that was pretty awesome but yeah i also did everything you said all right so from here we i'm not sure if we've already figured out that obadiah is the bad guy obviously I'm, obviously i'm sure if you read the comics that you already know from the beginning when they say his name that he's a villain I am not a comic book reader or not at the time, at least wasn't a comic book reader. And I've never been an Iron Man reader. I don't think I ever really will be, but I wasn't familiar with that. I think that they hint at it pretty well. And like at the fundraiser event for the firefighters, he says at the end of it to him, like, oh, it was me who did that, you know, and he still says that, like, I'm trying to protect you, whatever. But like, you kind of get that he's the villain at that point, I think, and like that he's doing the under the table stuff. But we get after everything goes down and the 10 rings fuck up with iron man i mean i don't know how much of a fuck up i would call it because they were kind of had no chance but obadiah sees it as a fuck up he goes there kills them all and takes the suit and heads home with that and then instructs his top men to get on this top secret plan to build a new version of that and this is where obviously well like it's not directly here but it is with this. It's one of the scientists that complains. You know, I'm not Tony Stark. I can't do it when he when Obadiah is like like the line that we've mentioned now a couple times, where he says that he did it. You know, with a bin full of spare parts, and that's what's going to end up being the final battle. And Obadiah is going to be the final antagonist. Is this Iron Man versus Iron Man, basically? Because it's just two different Iron Man suits. I don't know exactly what obadiah's version of iron man if it has like a name to it you know what i mean i'm sure in the comics it's called something i feel like you know like war machine or warmonger you know like something like that i know we have a war machine but i'm saying something along those lines so he's building that and tony's like i gotta figure out what is going on i gotta figure out all the under the table deals that are going on so he sends pepper to go steal from the laptop or not the laptop the desktop computer in the office which i was like all right you're kind of sending her into the like lines then here a little bit but and he like obviously she was because obadiah catches on to her a little bit too late so she's able to get away with colson but this is like all leading up to the end of the movie where we have obadiah making a new suit he's got it created and he's just trying to figure out the arc reactor section of it and we have pepper meeting up with colson and she's not going to bring this information back to Tony like he asked. She's going to bring it to the authorities, which I don't know if that was her plan the entire time or if she was just so scared and ran into Colson. and was like, I need someone with me right now because I might get killed if, if I don't have someone with me. And who better than the authorities? 
And oh, another good joke was the shield one. Although it's a little silly that they wouldn't have thought of shield already, right? If it's just sitting right there as an like 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 they would have figured it out. But I like that running joke that pays out at the end of shield. But so we have Colson and Pepper going to confront Obadiah. We have Obadiah at Tony's place, paralyzing him with Stark technology and stealing his arc reactor, sending him presumably into cardiac arrest, like he was mentioned earlier in the film. And this is all, like I said, setting up the final battle. And here we have, after Obadiah pulls out the arc reactor, he like has to crawl and go get it. And Dummy comes in to save the day, which I love. And then Rhodey also comes in and further saves the day and helps out Tony. And then we'll lead into the final battle. But before we get into the final battle, this is uh, your guys' time to shine. What are your thoughts on this section of the movie? Um, well, I don't um, know if this relates specifically to this section, but um, just like after having this conversation about the movie, I realized that like Tony Stark is literally his biggest competition, like his biggest villain, like the, the um, weapons and everything that he creates are what goes against him, literally. So um, yeah, even Obadiah going against him with his own Iron Man suit and everything is just an equalizer to a, towards Tony Stark. And um, it's just like Tony Stark has to not only overcome his ego, but he has to overcome his own creations as well. So I think that adds like another layer onto the dynamic of the movie. I agree, Jalen. I was thinking something similar. It's like they can only best Tony by becoming him, right? Otherwise, they're going to struggle to find a way to to combat him. They're using his own stuff against him, like you said. And eventually they have to neutralize him or Obadiah tries to because they know that they're not going to be any match for him otherwise. Not if they have him to compete with. In the mirror where I see my only enemy, your life's curse will mind an obscenity. Yeah, I misremembered this part of the movie. For some reason, I thought that Obadiah tried to kill Tony after Tony comes back from the cave and announces that he doesn't want to make weapons anymore. But I remember when I rewatched it, I was kind of confused just in terms of how it plays into Obadiah's character himself, that he tried to kill him before any of this, you know, any of this other other stuff pops off. And it's kind of ironic that Obadiah's attempt to kill him ends up making him into an even bigger threat than he already is. But also I wish they would have done more with the character or, of just explaining why it is that he wants to kill Tony. Cause I think in that scene where he does, where he goes to his house and he takes, you know, he steals Tony's arc reactor. He calls him the golden goose. And I'm like, okay, that kind of is that you get like that one line of explanation, but they kind of leave it up to the audience to interpret why it is that he wants Tony dead. Like, is it, did he and Howard Stark fall out at some point or is, is Obadiah just greedy and wants control of the company does he like feel pa- maybe they you know give some throw some lines in there that talk about the dynamic of of tony inheriting the company and like becoming the ceo over obadiah who's like been with them for years you know maybe that's the angle that makes him want to kill tony but i just thought i remember seeing that and thinking that was weird um i do like the scene where uh pepper's stealing the information i remember the first time i saw it in theaters i was like I was I was terrified for her. I was like, yeah, she's about to die. But, you know, she didn't. Um, but I thought in general, the the third act of the movie is kind of kind of the weakest part, I think, for me, um, just because besides the fact that he 
I don't know. He he does end up showing some selflessness at the end. I think it was kind of the final fight. It, it, it feels a little bit uh, underdone compared with with what we get, you know, earlier in the movie. And he's he's Ironmonger, by the way. I forgot that. You- ah, see, that's why Warmonger came in. I, I knew yeah. it was something. Yeah, that's his name. Cause and there's a part where he says that to he says it to Tony. He's like, "We're Ironmongers," you know. When he's trying to convince him to come back off of his position of shutting down the weapons division. I will say that you're asking for a little bit more of Obadiah in this movie. I know that a lot of Jeff Bridges' scenes were cut from a little bit of research that I did because, or at least how it was pitched to me in my reading was that it was like the editors felt it was like a less is more type thing with his performance. And they were able to like edit a lot of it out because it was kind of such a strong performance, I think, which is interesting. It's like, oh, it's so good. We're going to give you less of it. But I, I, I get I do get what the idea is there. But maybe that speaks to that a little bit. Yeah, because I mean, it definitely is effective, you know, because I'm mean, you're able to like glean a lot of those things. You just because I didn't even though I would I would have liked it, you know, just to have like a, a clear line in the sand for like this is where, you know, this is what was the breaking point for Obadiah and Tony. But you're right. Jeff Bridges does. He does. He does do such a good job of portraying the character that you don't really have to guess too much. You know, you're kind of just like, this is who this guy is. You know, like it feels like it was always coming, even though I was like, wait, why did why did this happen? So that's definitely a good point. He knows how to play a villain. Yeah. So do you guys, I know Chris just mentioned a little bit about the final fight, but do you guys have anything that you guys want to say about the final fight, Mac and Jalen? I think it's really interesting that Warmonger has to have so many more additions to his suit. Like it's just like, it's physically larger. I mean, granted, like I, I think Jeff Bridges is, is larger than Robert Downey Jr. And like, so obviously his suit's going to be a bit bigger, but it's almost like they had to have a physical suit to sh- try and show how power hungry he is in a way. You know, it was a visual aid to that, that he's trying to to physically demolish him, but also show it more as like a power play scene than than anything else. So obviously the good guys win. Pepper escapes. I did think it was kind of funny that he tells her all the instructions on how to get rid of Obadiah and he doesn't really mention that it's oh by the way the entire building's gonna fucking explode so make sure you get out of there which she does obviously but I just thought that was interesting like he definitely would have been a little more careful about that if it was real but maybe he did say something and they just you know the edit that we got didn't show it so you know they don't show everything in a movie so you never know what's omitted so I was just that's just a silly note to make but I just I when I was watching I did think that I also had the same thought about the size of I was like oh yeah well Jeff Bridges is also a little bit bigger so that makes a little bit of sense it's like like I mean it's a weird thought I guess but it's literally exactly what went through my head so I thought that was interesting that you brought that up Mac yeah great minds are hit so after this we get the conclusion of the film and the wrap-up of our first MCU movie which is Coulson and Rhodey and Pepper all telling tony stick to the script here's what we've got planned out for you yada yada there's obviously the moment between pepper and tony where he's kind of like don't you ever think about that night and he's still pushing for them to be together and she's like explains to him what it's like from her point of view which i thought was great like oh you mean the night that you just left me there and like that's not even like again chris to your point like he doesn't even think about that that's not even like and obviously like there was a reason for that. We all know that we saw it. We talked about it, but 
he didn't even think to like run up give her a little heads up first right and he didn't even think afterwards like oh i i fucked that up for her like that was probably really shitty for her never even crossed his mind until she brought it up so we get that and then we get the press conference obviously we alluded to this earlier on we actually didn't even allude to it we just straight up said it he's like giving the press conference christine the reporter from earlier is giving him some grief like oh you really believe us to expect that he's like hey i'm not a superhero she's like i didn't say you're a superhero you said that he's like oh right right and then Rody like whispers in his ear like yo just stick to the script please like come on man and i feel like everyone is thinking that that's on his team like colson pepper i keep wanting to just call her Gwyneth paltrow and he then goes off script again and says the truth is which is he's reading from the script there he looks up and goes i am iron man and the whole not even it's just fucking phenomenal it's and it cuts right there and you get the song as well which is beautiful like just well placed everything's great directed by john favreau the whole crowd is going nuts everyone loves it we're ready for the future at least that was my theater experience that i remember and it's just all well done down to like his face like his acting in his eyes is really good like you see him like make that decision and like he's like looking for like you see him look up like stop reading the script you see him then like his eyes change they really do like he's just he's a he's a great actor like again you can you can argue that like whether or not he's like giving it 100 percent like later down the line if he's like maybe a little bit like tuned out from the movies at a certain point i would say that i always like his performances but i know that people just complain people people don't well people have complaints about the mcu in general a lot of i don't want to call them film snobs but you know what i mean there's certain like complaints about the mcu that i think are valid to a certain degree and that's like you know that would be one of them i think that the acting you know can be phoned in at certain points which i mentioned with Gwyneth paltrow but i think at least in this one and i would argue down the line as well but he's acting his ass off i think in this movie and i really like i said i really love like just the face acting even in the ending here so that's how the movie ends you guys got anything to add um obviously i'll talk about the first post credit scene that we ever get in an MCU film. After the fact, I'll let you guys talk about this ending because I just thought it was just metal as fuck. Um, well, um, I think the acting was amazing. Honestly, the whole entire movie, especially especially Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man, um, it was perfect casting. The thing that I like, the parallels and everything, since I've seen all the movies, him saying at the end, um, Iron Man literally set off the MCU. I know I probably sound repetitive saying that over and over again but this movie like you know jump started the whole marvel universe which is so crazy but him like you know like just admit to the public i'm iron man set off like a precedent of other superheroes coming out and you know saying that they're superheroes as well instead of like hiding their identity kind of like for example spider-man which um, I can see the parallels of him mentoring Spider-Man in the future and um, saying, you know, like kind of like hinting that, you know, don't come out and basically hide your identity and protect the people that you love instead of like being so balls to the wall like I am in a way. But yeah, that's all I got to say about that. I remember watching this in theaters and my jaw just dropping that he admitted his identity because prior to that, I mean, I've been into superhero stuff for seriously, like as long as I can remember. And something that's always struck me is like the need for secrecy, right? You have to hide your identity. So for him to take uh, and for him to make the decision to be open about who he was, that was so radical to me at the time. I just couldn't imagine that he had just given away his identity. 
Um, so when I watch it now, it just gives me chills, you know, like this is, this is the Marvel universe. Like, like Jalen said, like, this is the moment that it was like the end, but the beginning of it all, you know, like it ended the movie, but it, it was the beginning of what we've all come to, to love and enjoy about, um, Marvel. Yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm going to start sounding like a broken record and I might start a campaign like a Tony Stark is a dirtbag campaign that comes true. I think I'm going to try to prove it over the course of these movies that we do. Because for me, like the beneficial interpretation of what happens is like, not the, but like, if you wanted to portray him as like a guy who embraces who he is, you could say, you know what I mean? He just says, I am Iron Man because that like, he doesn't want to hide anymore. And we see like his development come full circle and, you know, he embraces, okay, you know, this is who I'm going to be. But for me, the flip side of it is, okay, like you said, you've, he's got this team of people who are like kind of counting on him to stick to the script and maybe like the fame, the attention, you know what I mean? Like that line where uh, uh, the reporter Christine is asking him the questions and he, you know, it's kind of like a Freudian slip, but he like paints himself as a superhero before anyone calls him a superhero. Like you can tell, you know what I mean? He's, this guy's got like a fragile ego and like a need to be, a need to be liked. Um, but I don't know. It's just, and when he says, I am Iron Man, you could say, like I said, that he's embracing who he is. But also, I think he kind of uh, is chasing that that adoration that's that's going to come with with being a superhero because he, he kind of tr- like tries to downplay himself, but only half heartedly. He's like, I'm not even the superhero type, but it's like clearly, I mean, you believe that, you know, he, he he's like saying why it couldn't be true all the while believing that it's true and then stating that it's true. So. I mean, I, I I love the ending though, and I love the use of the Black Sabbath. I mean, that yeah, I love that song. So hearing it is like when it just cuts to it, I thought it was really good. And like Max said, the use of metal throughout is just is is really good. So great ending. But Tony Stark is a dirtbag. Der Enfang ist der Ende und der Ende ist der Enfang. The beginning is the end, and the end is the beginning. Just was thinking about that when you were talking about how it was the you know Mac you mentioned the. MCU ending starting here but the movie ending here obviously that's true even more so once we get to the post credit scene which again I think there was buzz like around like like hey make sure you stick around past the credits if you're watching Iron Man in theaters and everyone's like okay why like there's more like that's weird which is like obviously now we're just like poisoned with that idea to the fact the point where like there's mid credit scenes and everything it feels like now not that I care I, I like them so but it's just interesting how much that landscape has changed based on what the MCU has done and how like superhero movies are expected to have them. Like it doesn't matter if you're Marvel property or not, you're expected to have one. So I think that's interesting. But this post-credit scene is Sam Jackson as Nick Fury. And like obviously I think it's funny that they do like a face reveal at the end where they like show him. And I think that maybe it's cool because you see him with the eye patch, but there's no question who's playing him before that. Like you hear his voice. Like he's got Sam Jackson's voice like you know like and maybe I'm saying that because I know it's him but like I don't think like I just I just thought it was interesting that they like have him come out of the shadows like after like a full like 20 to 30 seconds of him talking where it's like yeah we know motherfucker I, I know it's Sam Jackson playing him but I like this he like have you heard of the Avengers initiative I think it's a very cool way to get us excited for something down the line and also you know it's it sounds good there I just think it's it's a, a cool line and a cool way to set everything up and obviously the post credit scenes going forward are going to really, really set up what where they're going. And this is the beginning of that. So I know I enjoyed it. I wonder, you know, what you guys think about it. And maybe we'll, 
as we go through them, we'll rate the the post credit scenes as well. Um, I don't know. That seems like a lot, actually, because there's going to be like multiple ones in a lot of them. So maybe we won't do that. But yeah. So what did you guys think of the post credit scene? I will just throw in a little fun fact that before his casting, actually, they already had used Sam Jackson's likeness as the model for Nick Fury in the I believe it's the Ultimate Universe, that version of Nick Fury. So it's like they had decided before even his casting that he was a good Nick Fury type. So I thought that was interesting. But yeah, what did y'all think about this? I'll be honest. I didn't even know for like several movies that there were end credit scenes. Like that sounds so horrible. But it wasn't until a couple years later that I, I was like watching it on DVD or something like that. That I really, I mean, not not super late into into the MCU. But like I would probably say after... Captain America is when I realized that there were post-credit scenes. So it was it was a couple of years of me not knowing about them. So having to watch all of them and figure out the pieces, the little pe- puzzle pieces they they had been laying down for the, the the past few years up until that point that I had actually figured them out, figured out that there were post-credit scenes. I was like, oh my god, everything's like kind of falling into place and making more sense. So I thought it was really good, especially it being like the first movie. I'm in the same boat as Mac. I didn't know for years that that they were doing post-credit scenes. But even more embarrassing is that I have not seen this one. I turned it off last night and didn't watch it. I didn't know that there was one at the end of this movie until you said that earlier in this podcast. And what I was going to do was like try to mute this chat and go and watch it while we were doing this. But I haven't haven't seen it to this day. So it sounds great. I'm going to watch it uh, at some point. But I'll probably, I mean, I'll watch it right now, but after, you know, we get off of this call, but like, I do like how you pointed out how influential that has been just in the movie community. Like, I know anytime you go see a Marvel movie, we've been like trained people, even when it was known that there weren't any at the end of Endgame, people sat through the entire time just to like, just to check. Also, you know, kind of like a, a hats off to everything they had done, but like people, you know, you just expect to see a tidbit of what's to come. And I think that's a really um, innovative way to keep people interested and keep them coming back for more to just to tease what's going to happen. But yeah, I'm ashamed to say I have not seen seen Iron Man's post-credit scene. I agree. I vaguely remember the post-credit scene, but I do know like Iron Man starting off with the post-credit scene set did um, set a precedent for all Marvel movies. Like, of course, like the, the best part even better than a movie is waiting and seeing what is upcoming next, what is teased next and everything. So um with um Samuel um Samuel L. Jackson, um him being Nick Fury, that was a definitely perfect cast and and him being able to create the Avengers initiative was um definitely a cool play on everything in the MCU, which created all the Avenger movies afterwards. So um I did enjoy that a lot. And I do also enjoy like how they still utilize his character now with um, other projects such as Secret Wars that's coming up on Disney Plus soon. Yeah, if you take out Stan Lee, because he's technically been in more of the MCU films, Sam Jackson is the highest grossing actor of all time, mostly because of the MCU. But I think it's funny that technically Stan Lee is the highest grossing actor of all time, which is very interesting. But... Oh, wow. John Ratzenberger is number four. He's a goat. But that's from all the Pixar movies. So that does sum up the movie and our discussion of it, which, you know, means it is now time 
for our final thoughts and with that comes our ratings as well so here it is folks time for us to put our money where our mouth is how much did we enjoy this movie actually out of 100 jalen you go first all right so i'd bias i love iron man i enjoyed this movie a lot i would give it 90 arc reactives but that's just me (laughs) no that's a fair score i think for sure mac what about you well you know what i don't know now because i was going to use arc reactors oh come on you had to have a backup for arc (laughs) reactors like that wouldn't get picked (laughs) i know i should have been a little more creative yeah whether whether it's objectively the best movie in the mcu i don't know but for me i'm gonna give it a hundred peppa pots out of a hundred all right chris what is your rating and what are your final thoughts of iron man definitely the most maybe not the best but for me but the most influential by far of any movie in the mcu you know it was a great great start to what has been a one of my favorite franchises it was very you know the action was great the comedy was great the acting was great you uh, i mean you can't ask for much more from a blockbuster and i think um it was a great way to introduce the character and and kick off the entire thing so for me i'm gonna have to give it there's two movies i would put ahead of it and i'm trying to I'm trying to develop that scale. I'm gonna just gonna say I'm gonna say 94 Jericho missiles out of 100. Very cool. So for me, like I said, I really do love this movie. It's got a big place in my heart, and I also love what it did for Robert Downey Jr. I love that he's so well cast in it. Like he went out of his way to try to get this role. He sent in like screen auditions for it. Like he really wanted to be tony stark and he nailed it and obviously like people really connected with that i think everyone did a great job i think it's one of the better directed films in the mcu as well i really agree with a lot of what you guys said it's one of the stronger notes and one of my favorites in the franchise i'm going to give it 87 dummies out of 100 so folks that does wrap up this week's episode Thank you, Jalen. Thank you, Mac. Thank you, Chris, for stopping by, as always, on these episodes. Thanks for having us. Always a pleasure. Of course. See you guys next time. See you all next week. And thank you to our audience as well for sticking around to the end. Thank you to our recurring listeners as well as our new listeners we hope that you enjoyed it enough to check out our old episodes and stick around for what else is coming out this week and in the future remember like i said at the top of this episode we have episodes that release every monday tuesday wednesday or thursday and friday and then a monthly episode that releases on the first sunday of every month i already told you what we do on all of those i broke down what each episode is but this week we have tomorrow an episode on mystery men with guest simon whitlock And on Friday, we have an interview with Steve Chorney, the artist who, like I said, has done a million and one different movie posters. You've seen his work. That's a great interview. And that discussion tomorrow is also good. But check out those new episodes coming out and check out our back catalog of episodes as well. And while you're waiting for that, while you're waiting for new episodes to release, Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. You can find us by searching the letters G, D, T, 
and then you can subscribe and even leave a five-star review if you're feeling really nice. On top of that, you can also follow us on social media at GoodDataPod on Twitter and Instagram and at GDT Podcast on Facebook. We'll keep you up to date on all of our episodes there and let you know what's coming up as well as what we've done in the past. So stay tuned on those platforms for all the updates. And like I said earlier, stay tuned for all future episodes. And that ends this week's episode completely. We will talk to you again tomorrow. See you all next week. It's been real. It's been fun. And it's been real fun. See you cool cats later. (laughs) I like that.